0: Aaron and I want to start with a really big, heartfelt first bite. Thank you. We have been so encouraged by your kind word, your messages, your glowing reviews of First Bite. This has been a labor of love for the last year and a half, and we we are grateful for y'all being on the First Bite journey with us and supporting us because we. I mean, we work full-time, and this is this is a full-time gig on top of it, and we do it with joy because we understand that the world of early intervention pediatrics needs evidence in it.
1: So we sweet-talked the folks with SpeechTherapyPD.com, and as a thank-you giveaway, we have come up with a, a, a free podcast
0: subscription. So once we hit 130 iTunes written reviews, we're going to pull another name out of the hat, probably with the assistance of an ever so handsome goose and a bear, and that person will get a free podcast subscription. So over 175 hours of continuing ed plus 19 new continuing hours each month. And there's a new episode every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every other Thursday, and the short course, nine series long, All Things Ethics with Elise. And that's our way of giving back. So thank you. So please keep the reviews coming. We only have a few more to go. But once we hit 130, then we will pull that name out of a hat. Happy 2020. Thank you for joining us on the journey. And seriously, y'all rock. Thank you. Hey, so by now I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new
1: coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you
0: $20 off the PodCourse subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed, plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the numbers twenty. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon.
2: Hey there, listener. This is Dr. Dakota Sharp, audiologist, clinical assistant professor, and lifelong learner, inviting you to join me on an exciting new podcasting journey known as On the Ear. As you know, audiology is ever evolving, so it's critical as professionals that we learn and grow as well. Every other Thursday, On the Ear will be interviewing a variety of clinicians and researchers, spanning a wide range of hearing and communication topics. From pediatrics to geriatrics, cochlear implants to vestibular, speech to hearing, and everything in between, this podcast will provide exciting insights that you can use in your clinical practice. Each episode of On the Ear is available for .1 ASHA CEUs when you complete the accompanying pod course through SpeechTherapyPD.com. For more information about On The Ear and to earn ASHA CEUs for this upcoming podcast, visit speechtherapypd.com ear. That's speechtherapypd.com ear. Thanks for listening and subscribing, and we'll see you soon.
1: Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite. Fed, Fun, and Functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyDD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Culvetown, South Carolina So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hello, y'all, and welcome
0: back. All right, so it's been a while since Erin and I tackled a few case studies, and honestly, it's like one of our favorite things to do. I mean, how many of you troubleshoot a case, HIPAA-compliantly, of course, with a colleague to try to understand the case from a different angle? How many of us will pick apart a research article to try and understand the new diagnosis that you've never heard of? Or how many of us will call the MD, the nurse, the specialist, and advocate for an additional referral or seek to understand the decision made in the child's care? Most likely, the answer is all of us. So that is the driving force behind today to troubleshoot some of the real life cases and expand our evidence based triangles by sharing the results learned and the fabulous research along the way. Because as was just wisely pointed out in some social media pages I follow, remember, a case study is only a subject sample of one. So use the information garnered from other similar experiences in your evidence-based triangle, but y'all be sure to fact check and base your decisions on research too. Uh, For more on that, I highly recommend that you check out episode 116 that's coming up with uh, the ei.teletherapy Instagram handle, amazing Allison. Uh, She's an early intervention SLP out of Texas. But she'll deep dive us into the evidence-based triangles. But that's my soapbox. Today is clinical case studies because we do need to talk about the real life experiences and they do have a valid point on the triangle. But you have to take into consideration the research too when you're even addressing it on a case-by-case scenario. So huge heartfelt soapbox done. Erin, how you doing, lady? (laughs)
1: We're
0: doing. We're doing. We're doing. <laughs> it's it's been an eventful morning. Comedic um technical errors, um, dog trying to live and die and all the drama, and um uh entertaining the tiny humans in the background. So um if you hear voices, they're on a Lego hunt, uh a Lego quest, shall we say, for mm-hmm. the right piece. Um, yes, huzzah post Harry Potter birthday shenanigans. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. They were very excited. Yes. Bear woke up. Y'all, Bear woke up Friday morning at five thirty AM and had completely dressed himself and brushed his teeth and was wearing his sorting hat shirt with the four um houses on it. And he was like, I am ready for Harry Potter's birthday. Let's do this. And I'm like, Bubby, it's five thirty in the morning. You have to go back to bed. <laughs> so I don't know if y'all celebrate Harry Potter's birthday with as much fanfare as back dawson. <laughs> Oh my. Okay. So, um, we have three different cases. Um, our first case has to do with EOE. Our second case is a neurogenic based, but, um, it does tie into, um, uh, a NICU stay. Right. And then, um, our, our third case is kind of an extension of the first two and how it overlaps. And along the way, we're also going to talk about, uh, process improvement opportunities because y'all that's, that's kind of where we get um, into the nitty gritty. Right. So, um, Aaron, why don't you describe the first case of EOE? Okay. Dun, um, dun, dun.
4: so I worked with this, I came in late. Uh, I share this patient with another speech therapist. Um, and he I don't know when um my colleagues first started uh seeing him, but had did fine on before starting solids um once started solids, did okay with baby food at first, but then started to refuse um, um what was he I think it was early like I think it was pretty early on okay um following the baby food that he started to refuse okay um i'm trying to think when when he when he started seeing my colleague i think it was still pretty young maybe
0: seven months
4: Mm. like much older um i'll cl- i'll clarify that at the end but um was refusing solid food, only drinking Pediasure because that's what was recommended because to increase weight gain. Who
0: who gave the recommendation, the pediatrician? Um, I think the
4: pediatrician possibly that's my guess. I'm not sure on that one. Um, was seeing GI had like would well, would um like lick crackers but wouldn't take bites of them. Okay. Um he really didn't like a lot of things on his teeth, like being brushed, um, had a lot of behaviors, like tended, like hit a lot. Um, just, I think they were just having a really hard time with all of that.
0: Was, was he aggressive during the therapy session or also at home during mealtime?
4: He would like throw things. He wouldn't, he would um, distract, like have tantrums, just a lot of behavior surrounding feeding. Um, he looked like had, um, some eczema too. Uh, Mm -hmm. just didn't, you know, when you see a kid and they just don't look super healthy, like kind of sunken in, um, their skin is not. Yeah. Um, he had a history, uh, like born at 30 weeks. So was in the NICU. Um, he was fed with donor milk at first, but mom didn't make enough breast milk. Um, there, when he was, when my colleague started seeing him, she obviously had a lot of concerns. Um, the referral came from GI and the GI said, this is 100% behavioral and mm. would not scope him. My colleague asked for a year for him to be scoped because he had zero improvement. And at this point, I think he was four. Oh, my God. Um, so a year? For, yes, for that's, a
0: year. That's like neglect on the. So basically,
4: mm. um, and let me clarify what age. I, again, I don't. Um, but not much improvement would, all he would eat was applesauce. Um, he loved to like lick the chicken nuggets at McDonald's and like lick the fries. Wouldn't, he would maybe chew them up a tiny bit and then spit them out. Um, and was again, pretty much only drinking PediaSure. Like that's where he got, he, um, received an autism diagnosis and, just continuously not receiving, like, just would not be scoped. Um, he let me look back, but um, when I started seeing him still wasn't making much progress and finally got the um, yeah, so it was we're in here. year, I think like three and a half was maybe when my colleagues started seeing him. Wow. Um, and so finally got the go ahead to scope and COVID hit. Um, of course. Yes. <laughs> um, he had had like adenoids removed. He also has a history of asthma. Never had he, at, until, and I'll get to it, but hadn't had allergy testing.
0: Um, so he, we get the referral he was three and a half with a quote-unquote 100% behavioral feeding disorder Yep. with eczema, asthma, post-adenoidectomy,
4: trouble sleeping behaviors,
0: autism spectrum disorder diagnosis,
4: completely refused purees at 12 months,
0: and currently only licks chicken nuggets, french fries, applesauce, and is thriving on pediature, mm-hmm. quote-unquote thriving.
4: Yeah, and he would take like... With a lot <clears> of reinforcement, <throat> he would take a couple bites of applesauce and then throw it, or distract, or have tantrums, different things okay. like that. Um, finally, when South Carolina started allowing, um, like, a,
0: what's it called? Elective. A thank you. Words yeah. are hard.
3: Um, was scoped. <laughs> <laughs> words are hard because we're the feeding therapist. Sorry, that's just hysterical to me. Okay,
0: so he got scoped when he was scoped, and they found. EOE.
4: EOE. And, um, yeah, that was, I think family was happy to finally have an answer. I think it was frustrating. I, again, was new to his care, so I hadn't been through months and months and months and months of fighting for other diagnostics to be done. And I wonder what, um, I wonder what the GI really thought when he had said blatantly, this is behavioral and then found out that his esophagus was inflamed. Um, He went to, oh, he, he actually, I take that back. He had been to the allergist at some point prior um, and they didn't have any concerns. So, um, He finally got allergy testing, Um, part of the big, I think, six. We have very severely allergic to wheat, um, milk. Mm -hmm. Mind you, this child has been on PediaSure for Mm -hmm. three years, more than three years of his life Mm -hmm. Um, and allergic to... His
0: formula. Uh-huh. I'm I'm pulling up the ingredients list on the back of the can. So yeah.
4: Uh-huh.
0: Um and I think
4: what else did we have? Soy, wheat, um let me I
0: forget what all of them were. Um, soy protein, mm -hmm. um, is in there. Um, and y'all, when you're looking at the ingredients list on here, um, when you're looking at the ingredients list, you're going to have to, uh, the dairy can get hidden as whey or, um, it it may not just say dairy. It may say contains Mm -hmm. whey, but whey is a form of dairy. So he's basically quote unquote, thriving off of a formula that he's allergic to most of the main ingredients. Yeah. Which happens often. wheat, um,
4: soy, dairy, egg had a strong reaction and then a, a lesser reaction to oat and corn. So essentially...
0: And corn syrup and is the very first ingredient for most of... um...
4: And what do so many of the foods that we eat contain those things? So this child has been drinking formula that he's allergic to for years and years and years. Um, His behaviors were likely because he was in pain for three years and couldn't communicate. Mm -hmm. I just in my clinical opinion, don't really feel that this child has autism. Mm-hmm. I feel that he had appropriate responses to a medical etiology that was causing him discomfort and pain, Yes, and that may have been taken as autism. Yep. Um, they put him on Ellicare. We finally got a recipe that he would drink because again, sure is very, very, very sweet. Yes. So there was a struggle to get him to consume the disgusting elicare, which apparently they also make in like a tropical flavor. I don't know where, why anyone wants, no offense to anyone that makes elicare, <laughs> but like, I don't know where, why you would want to consume that. But he, then there was a struggle to get him to drink the formula because it needed to be sweet. Um. But once he started with that, his skin started to get better you he wasn't having as much congestion or asthma Mm -hmm. his behavior started to improve he would take like large bites of applesauce granted it's still a struggle because his allergies are to the the family they're in Mm -hmm. everything so providing education to family about what, why he can't have these things, because I think there's a excitement of he's finally wanting to try them. And so saying no to certain foods, because in the past we were like, well, if he wants to, because we didn't know about the allergies, you know, if he's, he's requesting something, let's allow him to try it because he's, he's showing interest. And now we're like, we cannot, because he needs to heal. And if he doesn't fully heal, then we can't, proceed with other options but it's incredibly frustrating because we're having to backtrack so much when in reality if like someone if had been willing to look earlier and if he had gotten the and we can't think like that but now he's had years and years and years of all these negative experiences and this pain and this trauma essentially that we're now having to work through and this family is having to adjust their whole lives essentially because it's a lot to have to learn all of this
0: yeah okay all right so to break down the case y'all this is incredibly common to see this scenario break out for our kiddos that have eoe okay so wait, can you pull the stat on what the current um, prevalence of EOE is? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like it's it's rising, but um, it was at one point in time three or four out of a thousand kids. But I think uh, that that has gone up. Yeah, okay. I'll okay. Keep okay. So, all right. So signs and symptoms of um, all right. Let me backtrack. Behavioral feeding disorders, again, and fact check me, but you can find the resources on um, feeding matters. And I'll go back to feeding matters because they have so much of this research about pediatric feeding disorders and why we need to be using an interprofessional practice on this. They truly only happen in two to 3% of the population. Um, Dr. K. Toomey talks about that a lot. And if it truly is a behavioral feeding disorder, then we are supposed to be working in conjunction with psychologists or psychiatrists. Okay. Now, Take into account the other inherent bias in medicine. And this is ugly, but it's truthful. If a child has a disability, there is a propensity to just say that these behaviors are because of the child's disability and they may not receive the most, um, holistic best practice care. I have a little guy on my caseload who was not growing and the parents had to fight for like the last six months just to get, um, to figure out the why. And we found out his body was making zero growth hormone factor and, um, the medicine just kind of, the physicians just kind of cracked his behavioral issues up to the fact that he has Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I was disgusted because then as soon as they found that out, we had to do an MRI scan to rule out a tumor on the pituitary gland. The good Lord, there was no tumor, but now they're having to appeal why he needs growth hormones because he has down syndrome, which is just disgusting to me, right? But that for this little guy who has um, autism spectrum disorders, there is an increased likelihood that they're going to have um, EOE and or food allergies, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we, yes. So did you find the EOE prevalence?
4: This one from 20... Is it the 2012 one? No, the 2017 one says, um... The prevalence is reported between ten and fifty-seven per hundred thousand. Okay, which would be close. Math is hard. But- Math
0: is hard. Yeah, so ten to fifty-seven out of a hundred thousand. Yeah, but um, okay. So with EOE, the signs and symptoms of EOE are um, behavioral, um, feeding aversions, eczema. Um, Uh, we're looking at, um, uh, congestion afterwards because it's, it's an inflammation disease, right? Uh, there's also the likelihood of an increased risk of food impaction. So what happens because those rings build in the esophagus is that food gets stuck in the ring. So they may, um, eat drink their formula and then go play. And then a little while later you see emesis and like, it's like the food never fully got digested and it just comes back up, but that's because it was stuck in Mm -hmm. the ring. Um, But those are all potential allergy signs Mm -hmm. for EOE. Um, The eczema, as soon as I see a kid with eczema or psoriasis, I'm like, all right. So when you see those, that your colleague made the right referrals. Y'all made the right referrals, get them to a GI and get them to an allergist because that's where those kids need to go. But then you have to beg, borrow, and plead that they'll actually do the assessments. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you guys do the blend? Did, did a registered dietitian step in at any point in time and give the recommendation for like Twenty five percent pedi- sure or seventy five percent pedi- PDSure, twenty five percent care Like, did and uh, did an RD run that? Um, so
4: they were kind of given ala-care and sent on their way a little bit. Hmm. Um, it was he. We were worried at one point that we were going towards an alternate means of nutrition because he was not taking the formula, and we had to reach out to GI and say hey, he's not drinking the formula. Can we start to wean, like, kind of add it to the PediaSure and then slowly wean so that he adjusts to the new flavor? He said, yes, that didn't really work. Magically, strawberry syrup. and um, <laughs> Which is like... Because he loved the strawberry PediaSure. Oh. I mean, he started drinking it. Dad found a, found a way um and i it, i think follow up's been a little bit hard there's been not miscommunication but i feel like i feel like they were kind of given this life altering diagnosis for him and then just given Sun recommendations the and kind of sent out the door um so we've been kind of trying to work and provide as much guidance as we can but it's cha- it's challenging for sure um
0: who's helping okay so do they have does the upstate have a support system for families um so the um the there is
4: his GI is not the EOE specialist at that
0: um facility.
4: Practice, uh-huh. but there is one nice um, so he is now being seen by the nurse who's, who oversees um, the EOE patient. So I think that that nurse has kind of been very helpful in all of his care. Um, it's, yeah, it's just been, it makes me sad for him. I mean, he's a different kid though, even with still maybe consuming a lot of his allergens um, he'll take big bites. Like he's much more willing to try things. He took like, he wanted to try plum the other day and like took a bite of it still plum? like mm-hmm.
1: that's huge still
4: um consistencies are obviously still very hard for him but we're expanding flavors and in those pure chaining
0: mm-hmm. yeah
4: because he I mean that's a lot for him and you I, with some of my kids I wonder like I don't know if this makes sense but like we grow up with these different tastes based on what our family introduces to us at a very early age. And you almost wonder if, um, if they don't experience that younger, like what happens to those responses to those flavors? Mm -hmm. Um, we also, I have a, um, there's another kid that is much, much, much older. Um, and, doesn't really eat, has eaten maybe three foods his whole life. Um, concerns for like GI issues, reflux, things like that. And he'll say, he's like, I, I, the taste is okay. Of things I try, just don't really like it. I don't know if I can't taste it as much. Just that makes me sometimes wonder about like introduction of those flavors.
0: Well, there is, there are, um hypernosmia is when you have a heightened sense of state mm-hmm. of smell. Excuse me. I just aspirated my own. Spit. That's delightful. Um, but hypernosmia is the hypersensitive and then um, hypo. So, um, oh, my God. What is the term? Hi- ah, there's a term. Somebody is shouting it. There's a term for um, heightened sense of flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, but that's also. Okay. I just I got to go back to the lack in the the breakdown in how to handle the formula and handle that diagnosis mm-hmm. that's really
4: well there's no set i mean i think it definitely depends on the kid and the severity of the inflammation
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, what their course of treatment is um but i feel like there's no set like this is I, there's a bunch of different treatment strategies i know that the gi that specializes and it is wonderful. Um, and he's written a bunch of articles on, like, what foods to introduce, what order to introduce mm-hmm. them, things like that.
0: Um, but but the EOE research is a moving target. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, y'all, there's a great um, physician out of um, Children's Hospital in Cincinnati. And if you give me a second, I will
3: pull the research article.
0: He, um, um, Okay, so... Here's the article. Um, uh, the, the study finds FDA approved drug reverses inflammation in the animal model of emerging food allergic disease of the esophagus correlating to EOE. And it was um, Dr. Rothenberg, I believe is his name.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, uh, I would recommend that uh, y'all take a peek at it. Um, it was sent to me by my dear friend from Alabama, um, who is highly aware of, um, the devastations of EOE from, um, working as, as a mom, as a mama SLP and a mama fighter. Um, but I would recommend that y'all check out, um, Dr. Rothenberg and his research from, uh, Children's Hospital of Cincinnati on EOE. Um, fact check us because, it's, it's evolving, okay? So it used to be that you put the children on a GERD medication and eliminate dairy. That was like the standard protocol. But now there's <clears throat> GERD medicine elimination and some folks are using steroids. And then we also have to figure out what the allergy, the and the allergens with children that have EOE vary. Pea protein is typically another common one, Mm -hmm. but when you take away dairy, when you take away soy and you take away pea, it's really hard to figure out what's left that they can eat. Well, and
4: that's also why it is so important to, if you can, if you think this is what's going on, like fight, because the earlier you get it, the better, the better, because this poor kid that I'm working with, like, it's been a very, very, that's three years of being on a formula that you're allergic to.
0: That's poisoning. Like that's, that it's, 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 it's like a poison. And, and that... it's
4: inflammation. Like I don't think people always understand what inflammation does to our entire body. Mm-hmm. So the longer that you're on that, your other parts of your body may also respond to that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
4: there's also, there's two really good articles that we read on um, in our group. Uh, Dr. Markowitz is really big in, he's in the upstate. He's really big Mm -hmm. in EOE. Um, It's, and this one was, this one was a while back, but, um, and this one was also done at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Uh, Elemental diet is an effective treatment for EOE in children and adolescents. And then there was a recent um, study in 2018, they did a literature review, um, In the ACTA Biomed 2018, it is, it was Ioliano, um, it was done in Italy, the study, but, um, that has a lot of really good information on kind of where the research is, uh, aspects of diagnosis, things like that.
0: And then another factor to add in here, um, Is when you have a formula that's high in sugar, the body sugar will also compound and add to inflammation Mm -hmm. and uh, sugar crashes and sugar addiction are significant. Yeah. So if you've got a child whose primary source of nourishment is it's sugar laden they're crashing all day long. Mm -hmm. So they're stable and then their sugars crash. And the diet, I wonder what is this is going to do with diabetes in the long run? Like all of these children Mm -hmm. now that have been pumped full of these sugar laden formulas, what is it going to look like for um, diabetes in 10 to 15 years Mm -hmm. when they're um, 20 and 30 years old. Like I am interested to see where this evolves to. Well, and also I
4: just, I know that our goal is always to dig deep to the medical etiology because that can guide our treatment plan. Sometimes Mm -hmm. in this instance, we were not fortunate to for that necessarily. And if you are treating a child like, I would say be very, be very um, intentional with your data and what you're trying, because if, if this child isn't making progress, like something is going on. And if you can show that you've tried different things and have tried different treatments, like that can push for more tests. You shouldn't always need that. But at the same time, like just if, if, he's gone years and years without making progress, like we need to find something else because yeah. this is not working.
0: And and if you have a medical team that is telling you no repeatedly, then that's where you have to push for getting a second opinion. Because that to me, I mean, like if, I mean, if y'all spent like a year trying to get an assessment and proving that like nothing is changing and we've done this is our course mm-hmm. of treatment that that's neglect, like not on y'all's part, yeah. but like on the, the physician, the team, they should have, and medical neglect is something that's like super hairy and nobody really wants to talk about like, dun, 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 but yeah. like, that's it. I've seen it. And well, I've
4: also wonder, like when physicians say certain things, I think they have to be very careful because It can lead to other diagnoses and it can lead to people's, it can alter the way that they look at this patient. And so when a GI decides to say, this is behavioral, that's going to alter his care from all of his other Mm -hmm. physicians as well, if they read that somewhere and they see that. So I just think-
0: When they don't, when they haven't done the scope to rule out the potential.
1: Yes. Right,
4: Right. And even then, I mean, you can just, I mean, I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's a physician's job to decide that, I mean, it may be a psychologist, but I don't know yep. that's necessarily yep. a GI's job to say something is completely behavioral. No,
0: that would be psych. If you rule everything else out, then then you're looking at an ARFID diagnosis and a psychologist has to give the ARFID diagnosis and SLP cannot. Yep. Okay. All right. We have to <laughs> spend 30 minutes on the first case. Yeah. Dun, 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 Okay. All right. So take me to your little one in the NICU with the hidden neurogenic. Oh, yeah. So this, well, she was actually in the, on the floor. Okay.
4: Um, She spent four months of her six months of life in the hospital.
0: Wait, so was she sent home for two months and then went back to the hospital or was she? I
4: think she, she was a pretty typical pregnancy.
0: Okay. okay.
4: Um and then started having bottle refusals, very significant emesis with feeds. Um, it when I saw her, she was th- she was throwing up almost every feed, and completely refusing the bottle. I remember my first eval. We assessed with a pacifier. She did pretty well um she drank about two ounces and then immediately threw it all up and that's not not good (laughs) so we said I wish y'all could have seen Erin's face it was like duh (laughs) and so we said that we should probably discontinue bottle for a little I mean she was getting fed through her NG because they were trying to figure out they're trying to work up what was going on with her. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a difficult case because mom was Spanish speaking. And which we would use like a, we tried to use an in-person translator as much as we pos- possibly could. We had like the, um the Marty's too, which is a video um translator. You almost, you sign on to it. And then there's a translator that is oh, that's through cool. video because especially with like, Babies, I'm talking about a blue valve and nipples and like, it's just, if they can't see it, it's, mm-hmm. it's difficult to translate. Um, but mom just really couldn't understand why we weren't giving the bottle. So she would sometimes she tried to offer um, like Pedialyte to her one time via bottle. She still just had, she wanted to feed her baby. Yes. And that's completely understandable. And so, um, they tried a ton of different formulas with this kiddo. I'm trying to think. She wasn't gaining weight very well. Um, very, very, like she, she was the cutest thing ever, and she was so well tempered. Though, I mean, she'd just be chill and then just throw up. Like she just, I mean, she shouldn't really. She, she was a happy spitter. She was a a happy spitter for sure and um
0: that was having weight gain issues that needed to be hospitalized Mm
4: -hmm. and she also had bless her like the worst she had eczema all in the back of her head and so i just remember she would just sit there like scratching her head because she was in just such pain and also this poor i mean if you think about it like she's on her she's laying on her back slightly elevated because they were in the hospital and they could do that um and for four months ever, I mean, she, she was so sad. So, because what happened was she was there for two months and then they discharged her. They thought, I think they had found a formula that would work. And then she was gone for like a week or two and she came right back. Um, they, te- I mean, they tested GI, she was on GI service, GI tested her moti- um uh, motility, they tested her reflux, they um they ran everything for that kiddo. And while that was happening, mom was so frustrated because she's like, and I can't even tell you how many conversations I had with her trying to explain. She her belly hurts. She is in what she knows when I eat, it hurts. And that's why she doesn't want to eat. But I think it was, I don't know if it was like the disc, the language disconnect, or I just think she was a mom that really just wanted to feed her baby. And it was, she was just having a really, really hard time. And
0: how much postpartum mm-hmm. also postpartum is if you've never given birth, it's hard to explain how profound postpartum is from a emotional, from a psychological which is driven a lot by the chemical as well as a physical mm-hmm. component and that's and yeah. Andrew
4: baby's in the hospital most of her PTSD the hospital yeah um and it was there became a point where like we just kept saying like we cannot be offering the bottle like it she would still offer it sometimes but we and it it's hard we had a lot of spanish speaking families in our hospital and i think we tried and did the best that we could, but it's hard. I think you could just see that they felt less heard.
0: Yeah. Um, But that's where the cultural competency piece comes in and having that's where we need, we need, what what is it? Like 90% of our profession, 94% of our profession is females. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. most of those Um, Most of our colleagues look just like you and I do, but we need diversity within our field to have representation, representation. Yes. Okay. And so I remember, um, eventually I think the
4: team just didn't give up, but they were like, we're just going to offer baby food. Like, let's just try baby food with a spoon, which I was very nervous because she throws everything up and I don't want her, we refuse bottle don't want her to start refusing the spoon like that you know you just worry about that um and she'd we talk so 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 much about reading her cues because she would like if she refused sometimes she'd take a couple bites and then she'd cry and that's a cue to stop and, I, and mom was really great at that um and i remember a couple times towards the end she'd be like she completely i didn't give it to her because she didn't seem like she wanted it i was like that's perfect And, but she just still was like, I don't understand why doesn't she want to eat? And I I was still explained, like, she's throwing up. She just knows she's being smart. She just knows that it hurts and it's hard. And so how did you guys get to the genetic piece? Um, so they, I'm trying, I think they finally were like, we need to look into, we need to have a genetic consult. Um, And I can't remember how they found it, but they found, they matched somehow and found that she had a gene or that essentially she cannot absorb fats. Oh my God. So every formula that they tried, because there was a point where they tried this because they were using, and I, I wish I remember the name of what formula it was. I had no idea what, like never heard of it. Just like the most, like not even like our typical broken down formulas that we see, like the most basic broken down, like very, very specialized formula she was on and she still was not tolerating it. And so when they figure that out, they found a formula. She, like, she cannot eat fats. She cannot absorb them. So, This is, I mean, I had never even heard of that. Um, And we saw her in follow-up and I mean, she, she did really well. Like she was happy and healthy and was trying baby food because baby food usually doesn't doesn't have have fats. fats, So she could eat that. Um, And we were slowly,
0: and I think mom was happy with that. Because you had, so this was not a, but that had the makings for the behavioral feeding aversion, right? I mean, clearly she was inpatient, she was hospital, but I mean, that she was a tiny, a tiny human. human, but that right there, her behaviors and her, her emesis was driven by a genetic condition mm-hmm. that was, I can't process fats. That's why we utilize interprofessional practice, okay? So, I mean, she was in the hospital, so she was
4: getting her work up, but it was really hard to know what the best plan was for her. I mean, I would have been okay if she wasn't trying things orally, but it was a quality of life for, yeah. for mom, Yes, which I think we, I mean, it was, we have to take into consideration. I and was remember very that. strategically used a, um, like the easy, spoon, the flat spoons mm-hmm. because I didn't want her to then become aversive to like the spoons she would likely be using. Um, don't I don't know, know if that was the best decision, but that's. No, that's, a,
0: that's, that's a great idea. Um, I
4: mean. And so she was just, it was so interesting. And I mean, she would have her moments and get like cry and get frustrated. I think a lot of it was when mom wasn't there because she's in the hospital by herself. Uh, cause mom couldn't be there 24 seven, obviously, but it was, that was, I, that was a very, very interesting
0: case. Okay. So, so my little one, um, I actually just discharged this baby on Friday mm-hmm. and I have had the pleasure of being with this family for almost four years, um, three and a half years. And, um, I was there from the beginning and, um, she was dark brown hair and the biggest brown eyes that you just like suck you in and you melt with. Right. And this sweet little baby girl, um, uh, was having difficulty with failure to thrive. Right. It was a failure to thrive kiddo. That's how we get a lot of our babies. And, uh, I, um, went and I observed and it was this great latch when we could get it. But then when the latch was lost, it was lost and it would take all of this motor planning to get the latch back. And it was, it was just, it was interesting with movements. Like we were hanging in till about month four with our developmental norms. And then everything just started slowing down. And we, um, family, um, pursued, um, neuro consult pretty much right away. And, uh, neuro consult found that the little lady was missing the middle of her cerebellum. Okay. So now we have a neuro diagnosis, right? But why is she missing the middle of her cerebellum? And the cerebellum is what controls your motor planning, right? Like that's, That's how we know to go from point A to point B, right? Um, They were encouraged and mom's amazing and mom's in the medical field and highly skilled and highly trained. And she pursued, um, they pursued the genetic consult immediately and got um, diagnosis of cask McPick syndrome, which is incredibly rare. And uh, it's, we have the genetic condition and it, gives a physical presentation of athetoid CP. And I mean, you can get a CP diagnosis. And normally we think of the most logical or causal factor of cerebral palsy is because of a stroke or oxygen deprivation like birth trauma, right? But this time the CP diagnosis was due to absence of cortical structures because of a genetic condition that coded the body not to grow these structures, right? So this child has a pediatric feeding disorder. This sweet baby girl is um, just shy of turning four and she is eating like a champ, but still has um, difficulty with self-feeding and OT is working on self-feeding because she's got hand to mouth discoordination and motor planning because of her. So we have like the oral preparatory stage is really, we really struggle with. Also, cup drinking and handling thin liquids is very, very difficult because the motor planning to um, the motor planning for lip closure or a labial seal is is very difficult because that's a fine motor skill set, and she's got difficulties with fine motor skill set. So she can manipulate a larger bolus. Favorite things is a fish stick, and baby girl can. If you hold the fish stick, she can bite. She has um, a slower seal to keep it in. But if it gets stuck on her lip, you can see her thinking about how to physically pull it back in her mouth or track her lips back. But the thin liquids just move Mm, too fast fast. for her. So um, I recommended... when she was really young to go to the feeding clinic. And then we continue to follow up with the feeding clinic. And they see, you know, our sweet friend, Leslie, down at the feeding clinic. And um, Leslie had a great idea. Try naturally thickened liquids. Because I was like, I don't think that she needs thickened liquids. I mean, she doesn't aspirate. We don't need thickened liquids. And then I start thinking about and liquids in the sense that, um, it's going to result in constipation. We're going to have dehydration. We're going to go through all of those factors, but it, I was wrong, dude. I was wrong. And I love being wrong because then I learned and they, Leslie was like, no, think of it from like a, um, like those yogurt, yogurt drinks, right? So they're just slightly thick Mm -hmm. and baby girl can do it with, I mean, she can handle that because it's just, um, it, I mean, they're not, it's just enough. I have
4: a kiddo that right now who it's just large boluses. I, part of me is like, does he have a laryngeal cleft? But, um,
0: that would be the appropriate console. He
4: only coughs on water when it's milk. That's just a little bit thicker. He, he can handle it.
0: Yep. But that's the the point of that case study of our these last two case studies is that there was a genetic etiology right and both of those were a bit more extreme i mean your little one yeah. was impatient and mine was home health but i mean it's been it's been a journey to get there mm-hmm. and and that's That's okay because we have to get the consults. And the beautiful thing is once we got the consults and once we got the right team in place, the kid got to a point of healing and could then make the progress. Mm -hmm. So it's not always just about a behavioral feeding disorder. It's not always just about an oral prep or an oral stage dysphagia. It's what is the what's the driving force behind yeah genetic neuro allergy extremes right so you have to use um you got to get out of the silo and and chase after um all of the potential etiologies because i mean My little lady, she may need a feeding tube for another couple years just so that she can independently handle her liquids. But if all she needs her feeding tube is for hydration purposes and she's able to have quality of life, have. Brit sit down and eat a quesadilla with her family which girl can throw down a quesadilla like an entire one by herself and then and then my favorite is she looks at you like all right I need more and we oh in her eye gaze I love when she can ask for um what she wants on her eye gaze communication device and like she has her favorites on there tater tots and fish sticks and I'm like that's a, I too would eat tater tots and fish sticks. Uh, uh, and she also likes quiche. I think that's, that's mm-hmm. quite a a variety of food choices. Okay. But how do we fix breakdown and continuity of care? So Erin, give us, give me some of your favorite strategies for, I mean, I would like to pull a boo bear and sometimes stop my feet and that's not allowed, but um, tips for fixing strategies. Um
4: I think that I think a big thing is to do legwork early. Um there are one of my coworkers is really great at reaching out to providers in the area and just having conversations with them about what we do, what our practices. Um just kind of talking about whether it's like new research or having discussions about what they're looking for and what their needs are, um, it allows for more open communication because I think a lot of times, you know, we only have time really to reach out to a provider when we're, we're seeing a patient with them. Uh, but if we, if we do the legwork early and start to build those relationships outside from, hey, I have a patient with you. Can we talk about plan of care? I have a question. I need help with something. Then that can um, help establish those relationships so that when we do call them, it's they know us. They've had conversations with us. It's not just because of we need something. Um, <laughs> I think that can be helpful. I'm the needy SLP. Yeah. But it's hard. I mean, it's not easy, and and I think about being when I was inpatient. It, sometimes you really, really have to fight for your kiddos. Like you think an in inpatient it, it's easier, but sometimes it's not because either other needs are more important or they really want to get this kiddo discharged. And so I I think about one specific case and it was this little NICU patient who um, was having a lot of emesis after feed. So we thought reflux and she, um, we ended up doing a small study on her more to rule out whether it was aspiration or reflux. And of course, as most of our kiddos in the NICU do, she aspirated. I, I mean, part of me is like, should we have done that swallow study so early when she wasn't even 40 weeks, but I don't know. And so we kind of had the team and a colleague I worked with at the swallow study and, and kind of offered options to the team and the team decided, well, let's put the oxygen back on her for an eighth of a liter, just tiny, tiny bit of flow to help her with her feeds, which I don't know. I mean, I guess it, they, you know, you decide, but I always thought respiration came before feeding, but I mean, I think some kids just need a little bit of extra flow. So, um, she ended up doing much better, got sent home on an eighth of a liter of oxygen, eventually got it, got it taken off, but.
0: um, Her lungs just needed a little bit more.
4: Yeah. And so sometimes we're wrong and sometimes what I think is right, isn't necessarily right, but in every setting you have to look at what is most important for this patient. And it might not always be
0: what you think initially. And that's, and that's okay. So we do the case studies not to talk about where we were right, but like also like, this is what we learned and this is how we learned it. And, and that's where we need to grow. Right. So yes, did Aaron and I do behind the scenes research on, what the diseases were that, um, the cases presented with Absolutely, freaking because when you've got a diagnosis that your body can't process fats yeah. or you've got a diagnosis that is like one of now less than like a hundred to 200 in the world, I mean, you're going to hit the books, but you also have to bounce ideas off of colleagues mm-hmm. and have that and utilize their internal evidence to grow your internal evidence to quote our dear friend, Miss Allison. Yeah. Um, But how cool is that, that you can still grow your triangle? And the children end up having joyfully happy outcomes, which is the end of the day, fed is fed is fed is fed, whether it's by breast, orally, through NG tube, G tube, NJ, J, or... For some kids, some kids end up having to have TPN. I mean, I've worked with some children. She was
4: on TPN for a a while. Yeah. um...
0: The little one that couldn't process Mm fats. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, we're in a, this is all, y'all, we're saving kids that we would not have treated five years ago. Yeah. And so, and we're having to play catch up. So, okay. um. Do you have a favorite resource for finding out about new diseases or disorders? I like, um, what is it? Rare
4: diseases.
0: I was going to say that. Yeah. Oh, I like, dang. um, okay. Yeah. Now there's defa- Sorry. No. Dadgummit. She took mine. She read my brain. They
4: have a lot of really good resources. Um, I, I know we're leery about like Facebook, but a lot of times when I have, like I had um two patients with Lesch-Nyhan syndrome,
0: mm-hmm. um,
4: brothers, both needed eye gaze. Mm-hmm. And I'll like join the Facebook groups just to hear kind of more stories from families. And a lot of times families have resources about that just to, like I said, you know, be cautious, but it, it gives you more information
0: for mm-hmm. sure. Okay. So It's rarediseases.info.nih.gov backslash diseases. So it's genetic and rare diseases information center, um, brought to you by the national Institute of health and it's guard for short and guard has so much information on there. And, um, most of the research articles there are free. Like I haven't had to pay for, Mm -hmm. for those, um, also one of my favorite resources is a former professor. So I say that because um I mean I don't ha- I I haven't kept touch with most of my former professors. I mean I follow a couple on social media, but um one of my colleagues, one one of my mentors works at the university here in town and when I need a research article, I will email the articles that I want to see to that friend and then pay her with wine and then she'll get me the research articles that I need because otherwise they're like 40 bucks and that's expensive and not impact Austin's budget because back to school supplies are expensive. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Why shoes? Why do the boys go through so many pairs of shoes each year? Um, all the boy moms are like, yes, who knew that you could get that many holes in a pair of shoes that quickly. Yes. But, um, Rare diseases is a great resource. Also, feeding matters, but I mean, we love feeding matters. Mm-hmm. So, um, circle back around to that one. Um, and then um, I'm trying to think what else. Sig thirteen, yeah. Um, the Dysphagia Research Society. The Dysphagia Research Society has some really cool, cutting edge stuff that's coming out. Um, so I would check there. You do have to pay to be a member to get their journal articles, but their journal articles are very interdisciplinary. So mm-hmm. I do. And these kids are hard. Yeah. You need not have like,
4: I mean, especially if it's a really rare disorder, like you, you really have to think through all their other under a lot, like mm-hmm. what it can cause, how it impacts their musculature, how it impacts mm-hmm. all their systems. And that's when like you, I mean, anytime I get a kid that is seen by a bunch of different specialists, especially when I come in, I'm like, you know, what is, Short-term plan right now? Are we having any surgeries? Are is our goal right now to improve um, and expand on foods, or are we really just looking for nutrition to get them ready for surgery? Are you concerned with that? You know, because I think that can be super. I have a kiddo right now that is looking at cardiac surgery, and so our goal right now isn't to challenge him with the liquids. It's really to make sure that he's healthy and not at for risk surgery. for any sort of respiratory, um, you know, respiratory issues, because yeah, he's, he's going to get surgery. So,
0: so bottom line, you don't know what you don't know. So hit the books, ask a colleague and practice interprofessional practice. John. So I love doing case studies. This is literally what we do. We get together after the end of a day or in between patients, and like her and I call each other and we're like, "Oh my god, I saw this. What do you think about this?" And mm-hmm. yeah, I know. <laughs> or
4: like I saw this. I heard, this kid did this in the session. Like, what does that make you think of?
0: Yeah, yeah. I had but- one
4: kiddo that was just hums during his whole meals. I'm like, why is he trying to close his vocal folds? Like, what are what, what why? are we doing?
0: Goose does that, but not when he's eating, but he just hums like yeah. throughout the day. And I'm like, okay, why are you humming? What purpose is this serving? Are we are we sensory seeking? Don't you love it when you're an SLP and you overanalyze every aspect of your offspring? <laughs> <laughs> Haha, might be an SLP win. Okay. All right. Hang
1: tight. We're going to switch over to questions. Feeding Matters Feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.